Don't think that you know what to pray for. The Spirit of God knows what to pray for. They're spiritual things. They're unseen. The desire for spiritual growth through Christ-mindedness. Insights on biblically inspired faith consciousness and how the virtue of Christ helps us relate to the world around us. Welcome to the Spiritual Renewal Podcast with your host, George Vasquez. Mark chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 23 and 24. And there it says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe, and you receive them, and you will have them. There's a lot of uh, Christians today that are using this verse in a way that just seems strange to me. Because I'm not going to base my faith on what someone else is going to tell me. I want to know from God's Word. I think it's important. We have to do that. If we're not doing that, then we're not really a disciple. We know that the term disciple means learner. And there was this group of people called the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, 11. They were Christians that came along and said, they're not going to just take Apostle Paul's word for it. They're not just going to take this Apostle's word for it. They got their Bibles open and checked it out for themselves. I believe that's very important. It's essential to your faith. Because what I did when I started studying this verse is I found more faith. God increased my faith. He made me feel more comfortable with His Word in knowing that His Word is truth and that there's wisdom and knowledge in there. And I hate to see this verse taken out of context. If you look at this verse in the chapter, just the chapter alone, you've got Jesus coming into the city, His triumphant entry. Palm branches are going like this, and it's a big to-do. It's a huge thing. And then further on down, he goes by this olive tree. And I had to start, stop, and study about olive trees, and I started studying about what is going on with this event to try to understand the context of what this verse is supposed to mean. I can hear what it says, and a lot of people could quote it very easily. But what does it really mean? And then just the verses after this, he starts talking about praying. Not just any kind of prayer. He says, if you have anything against anyone. He's talking about forgiveness. And you'll know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have a little bit different account of the same exact incident. And you'll see that everyone is focusing there on forgiveness. Because Christ said, I came to save the world. 
And you know, I've noticed that everything that comes from Jesus' mouth is revolving around his love for others and the redemption value of his sacrifice. That's salvation. You can hear Jesus over and over and over again. He's constantly echoing this concept of forgiveness, forgiving your brother, being forgiving towards one another, uh, letting God forgive you and taking away of sins. And I don't think that's by accident. And everything about Christ's life had nothing to do with, with material world. In fact, he had no place to rest his head, Scripture says. In effect, he was like a nomad. He would just roam and he was constantly moving, always on the move, going to share the word here, going to share the word there. He would get invited into someone's house and they would help him and he would share there. And it's just a wonderful existence, I think, a beautiful example of, of uh, an itinerant minister. These are ministers that often go from church to church and they have a message and they share a message. You'll, you'll see, if you've ever been in church, they'll say, and our, we have a guest, a special guest speaker, and he's just come from Africa, or he's just come from uh, Texas, and he's out this way for a few days. And then, and he might share, I saw one, no arms, no legs, wonderful preacher. And he has actually one big toe. It's kind of like one big toe that has like two fingers on it or something like that. And uh, it's amazing to see him share and the joy that's on his face. And he's so animated. It's a beautiful thing. I had a friend of mine, his name is Mel. We used to play chess together. Mel tried to commit suicide. He first got a shotgun and put it under his chin. And he blew off the left side of his face, his ear, I went gone like that. He survived it. But he didn't stop there. The next time he tried to commit suicide, he threw himself in front of a train. Lost both his legs. He lived through it. He wasn't done. The third time he tried to commit suicide, he poured gasoline over his head and lit himself on fire. He survived it. And then he became a follower of Christ. And to see the joy on his face and play a game of chess with him, even though he had very little, he only had a thumb and a forefinger just to move the piece. The rest of his hands were gone. Same thing on the other hand. Because of the burns, most of the fingers were burnt. His body was completely a scar. He had a patch over one eye where the one eye was missing and half of his face, no ear here, and a partial ear on this side but burn scars all over. And he was the greatest guy. I'll never forget him. God rest his soul. No. Paul, you know, there's other things that happen. I mean, throughout scriptures, lots of bad things happen. But here in this verse, it's saying, whatever things you ask, right? Whatever those things, if you believe that those things, he says, it will be done. And I kept looking at that word things, and I'm going, what things is he talking about? It has a lot to do with his will. 
But some people look at this verse and they start thinking about other things. Maybe it's your health. You wish you had both legs and your arms and everything else about that. But like this preacher and like Mel, they had no hope of getting their legs back. You could pray for them and pray for them. And what are you going to pray for? You're going to say, and Lord, heal this man. He has no legs. The preacher I saw, Nick, he had no legs and no arms. He wasn't looking for healing. He didn't have to because God had already healed his heart. He took his sins away. Praise God. You can't ask for better healing. And to move on through life, even though you experience all the pain and the suffering that you had to go through, still... So I'm wondering, well, what things then are we to be asking for? And I've had this question asked a lot of times. I don't know what to pray for. I want to grow close to the Lord, and I just don't know what to pray for. What things shall I pray for? It's hard to say sometimes. Let's look at the John chapter 3, and we'll start getting on a a frame of mind here to help us to understand what things we're talking about. John chapter 3, and we know the verse in verse 16, but I suggest to you that you should read the whole chapter of John. Get John 3.16 in the right context. Put the right frame of mind on so that you can understand the verse even better. And look at verses 11 and 12 of John chapter 3. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And I think that's part of the problem. We get stuck on earthly things. Everything that we think about in terms of our existence. Food is one of them, and I know, because I am in the kitchen. And, you know, it's, it's disturbing for me because it's feeding the flesh. And that's, that's my goal, to feed your flesh. It is, that's an irony. Because I don't want to feed your flesh, I want to feed your spirit. That's my desire. That's a godly thing. Different kind of thing. And every time I see someone and I come out here, their mouth is always chomping. First question, what's for dinner? That smells good. Seeing, touching, feeling, tasting, all these elements of our existence, these are the things that he's talking about. He says, here I am. I'm Jesus. I'm talking to you eye to eye. That's what he's saying. And you want me to tell you something about spiritual things? You can't even believe that I'm the Son of God? It's a basic elemental concept of what you should believe in order to receive. And I'm not talking about things of the earth. I'm talking about everlasting life. That's John 3.16. You see what things he's talking about? They're spiritual things. They're unseen. Those are the things we should be asking for. Those are the things that should be important to us. Because they mean everlasting life. They're spiritual things. 
but gradually we're getting a little better grasp and understanding that we need to be spiritually minded, not carnally minded, not stuck on the flesh. Pay attention to those things. Those things are unseen. But in 2 Peter chapter 2, starting with the first verse, notice what it says here. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will, who will bring secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By controversy, they will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Woe to them, the scripture says. Woe to them. Blasphemies, a heresy, is something that someone chooses, an opinion that someone chooses that's not based on any fact at all. And you can do that with a certain verse. You can take a verse and you can have an opinion about it that is completely off base. Religions are formed that way. Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witnesses, just to name a couple. And now, they, now they've got these modern New Age ways of thinking. Eckhart Tolle is one of them. Oprah Winfrey and Jim Carrey, they're all in cohorts with this concept that the mind has got power. That, that your words have power. When I started looking into that, this idea of power in words, guess what? It goes all the way back to ancient Babylonian teaching, the very beginning of cult worship, the source of many false doctrines, not just one, but many, many false doctrines. And if you're careful enough to trace some of these teachings, you can trace them all the way back to Babylon. That's why I had to find out for myself. Don't just take my word for it. Find out for yourself and you'll see what I'm saying is true. It's crazy stuff, man. It's scary sometimes. Really, really scary. Think about it. Why did, were they building this tower in Babel? It was language. They found the power of words. God didn't like it. And he destroyed it, and he made more languages. He got them confused. He said, uh-oh, these people, they're, they're looking at it wrongly. They're looking at it existentially. They're looking at it building a tower like they're going to be able to reach me. Right? They're, lo they have the, the, they're looking with their own eyes. They're not thinking in spirit. And then they're ruling over each other and using words to control others. And he said, no, I'm going to scramble the languages. Bam! There was only one language at the time. They only spoke one language. We're at 2 Corinthians now. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's start with verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations 
a thorn in my flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure concerning this thing. I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, we get to thinking that God's going to solve all our problems, our physical problems, right now. We need to have it done right now. Can't wait for it. You know, and sometimes it's painful. And we do want relief. Turn, turn back to Romans now. Romans chapter 8. You can keep going through Scripture. That's just one example I use because it's a most concise example of what we're talking about. But there are many examples, and I'll tell you what, they're all going through pain. And every time they experience pain, they grew closer to God. Do you think that God wants you to grow closer to Him? Count on more pain. That's the way it works. Romans chapter 8, and notice, starting with verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Don't think that you know what to pray for. The Spirit of God knows what to pray for. So you can pray for the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we get to thinking like we know everything. We're little dictators. God, I want this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And this is what I want done. And have this done for that brother. And that brother's suffering. So fix that, brother. Fix that, God. And I want you to fix that. He's got problems. If, you, if that brother looks like he needs comfort, by all means, pray that God comfort him. Help him to reassure him that you're there and that you love him in prayer. Those are good things. They're spiritual things. But recognize too that if we're any if anything's going to happen, it's going to be because of God and to his glory. It says so right there in verse 18 of chapter 8. That's what these verses are about. It's God's glory. Anything that you are going to pray for, anything, anything that you're going to pray for that has nothing to do with with glorifying God is a waste of your time. You can't expect Him to hear something like that. It's not bringing Him glory. And not only that, but you've got the enemy over there laughing. (laughs) That guy thinks he's got the power. He thinks he's got the power. Check this out. I'll read you something. Uh, I was looking at Max Lucado. I love his writing. I... uh, picked up this he wrote March 20th called the gospel of second chance it's just a uh, short part of what he wrote but check this out for some Jesus is a good luck charm the rabbit's foot redeemer pocket size handy easily packaged easily understood easily diagrammed you can put his picture on your wall you can stick it in your wallet as insurance 
You can frame him, dangle him from your rearview mirror, or glue him to your dashboard. His specialty? Getting you out of jam. Need a parking place? Rub the Redeemer. He'll help you on a quiz. Pull out the rabbit's foot. No need to have a relationship with him. No need to love him. Just keep him in your pocket next to your four-leaf clover. For many, he's an Aladdin's lamp redeemer. New jobs, pink Cadillacs, new and improved spouses. Your wish is his command. And what's more, he conveniently re, uh, re-enters the lamp when you don't want him around. For others, Jesus is a Monty Hall redeemer. All right, just let's make a deal. For 22 Sundays a year, I'll put on a costume, coat and tie, hat and hose, whatever, and I'll endure any sermon you throw at me. In exchange, you give me the grace behind purely gate number three. Purely gate number three. The rabbit's foot redeemer, the Aladdin's lamp redeemer, the Monty Hall redeemer, few demands No challenges, no need for sacrifice, no need for commitment. Sightless and heartless redeemers, redeemers without power. That's not the redeemer of the New Testament. It was really, the story goes on and on, but it helps us to understand, you know, you just can't do it that way. You just can't expect God to to (laughs) supply you know, he's, he's, you know, our, it's not like that. He's saying, you know, where's your faith? He's saying, he's saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying, go through the pain. And at the end of the pain, and Paul was looking at it the same way, there is this prize. You get to be with me. You get to see me face to face. You get to be in my glory, be submersed in it. What a wonderful thing it is to, to have that in our lives. It's just like totally awesome. All right, page, page. And then finally, we've got these ones that want to start talking about something opposite of what we just did. Did you see, hear anything about what I've been sharing with you that says anything about you being prosperous is going to be a requirement of your salvation? Or you finding your CDs or your cup or whatever? Is that anything? What spiritual is that? Is that spiritual? It's not. It's not spiritual. I'm going to pray for hamburgers tonight. Huh? Still. Still. Still in the flesh. <laughs> Did you pray for hamburgers? Okay. <laughs> First Timothy, and here here is really where it lies. First Timothy chapter six, starting verse three. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he's proud. knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which 
come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourselves. You don't need to be around that kind of person. Because he's only telling you what you're going to get. He's not saying whether you love God or whether you truly and honestly do believe that you've been going to Him in all honesty and that if you do believe, then you know your sins are forgiven. So then why are you carrying so much shame and guilt on your shoulders? Huh? You wouldn't be carrying that if you truly did believe that God forgives you. You must believe. That is the essence of your salvation. We're talking about a trust conviction in the one who can redeem you. That's not like uh, intellectual belief. You know, I can believe that this table exists because I see it here. It touched. I could lick it and taste it. I know it's there. But, but Hebrews 11.1 1 says, can't see it. Where's your faith in there? Huh? The faith that you have that says that God has forgiven you. That all your sins, past, present, and future, have been nailed to the cross. All of them. Huh? All, going all the way back to Adam and Eve. For all time to come. So Jesus teaches all the time, over and over again, how our faith in God can remove a mountain of sin. And that's what he does speak about. He says, if you, that's what he's talking about. He's not saying, move this mountain. I believe that what he was pointing to directly was the temple, because he was standing nearby. This mountain, the, the temple represented the atonement for sins. I, I try to think of how Jesus will walk through town knowing every single person's sin on their heart, knowing everything wrong with everyone, and not just be bawling and crying the whole time. This poor, sad generation. They'd still have a they'd still be able to smile, still be able to function. I could not do that. I could not function like that. And then actually take, you know, take the sins of the world on him. Wow. Only only our Lord and Savior could do a thing like that, man. Pastor George Benson. If you like the show, just include us in your feed. Subscribe and turn on notifications for updates. Visit us at virtueeffect.com. That virtue, no L, and effect, all one word, dot com.